Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. show features Nick DiClemente, founder and CEO at Elevated Integration. Nick is a 20-year industry veteran. He started in CI in 2001 while studying fine arts in college. Nick pioneered CI, the MDU market, for seven years with Concierge Direct. And afterward, in 2012, Nick started Elevated Integration. Elevated has always been focused on high performance, high reliability, and a high level of service. Company culture and training investments in their team are paramount in achieving these goals. We live streamed this interview on social media on Wednesday, December 28th, 2022 at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. During our time together, we discussed managing the holiday season crunch, one-app control solutions versus multi-app approaches, bringing on consultants, how to close big deals, and company culture. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Let's tune into this interview with Nick DiClemente. Nick, how are you, sir? I am good. How are you? I am good. How was uh, uh, Christmas uh, for you guys, you and your family? It was great. You know, it was good, uh, not too crazy. Hosted uh, hosted a bunch of family uh, over the course of the weekend. You know, I have, I have little kids, eight and five, so it's... Uh, it's mayhem Christmas morning. So it was a good, good time. Do you, I, at eight and five, you have to do the Santa thing where they, they think Santa, because Santa did come the night before. So is he there did. the big unveiling in the morning? Oh yeah. And then, you know, in, in a month of the uh, elf on the shelf and the whole, the whole program, you know? Uh, so yes, yeah, so it's the, it's the, it's the whole show. Love it. And are you, I see some Legos over your, at least for our audience here, it'd be over your left shoulder, but on screen it's, it's to our right. Uh, are you a, a Lego fan? Uh, I do it with my kids. My daughter and I built that, uh, the Lego Death Star during COVID, during the lockdown. So and I think she was, uh, I guess, six at the time, or t- just turning six. So we built the Lego Death Star. That is awesome. And uh, I want to give a shout out. Uh, we have Wes. Uh, he's actually on Team One Firefly and uh, on LinkedIn. He says, uh, "Hey Nick, welcome to Automation Unplugged." So, thank you, sir. Appreciate you, Wes, tuning in. And if you are out there on LinkedIn or uh, YouTube, uh, don't don't be shy. Drop into the comments uh, <laughs> and say hello. And we're going to make sure we we touch on a whole litany of controversial <laughs> topics today. <laughs> So uh, don't be shy out there and and let uh, Nick know what you think about these. Nick and I, what you what you think about these topics. Um, Nick, for those that may not know you, why don't you get us introduced? Tell us about uh, the business, Elevated Integration, and your role within the business. Yeah, so uh, Elevated Integration, I founded it uh, in 2012. So I'm the founder and CEO. Um, you know, Metro New York based, but work all over the country. Um, I guess all over the world too, to some degree, but, but, um, mostly in the U S obviously, um, I still do, um, most of the selling, um, and a fair amount of the engineering as part of the business. We have, uh, eight people, 
um, and primarily, you know, ultra high end luxury residential is our market. So Paul Bachner just posted on LinkedIn. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, he says that there is a scotch in the Death Star. It, it, it's entirely possible, Paul. Thank you. Thanks, bud. It's entirely possible. So the, those, I, those who spend time know, I, know, know that I enjoy scotch from time to time. Got it. And uh, by the way, Jason Sayan uh, also stopped in and says, hello, happy holidays. Appreciate that, Jason. Thanks for, for stopping in. Um, Nick, lots of uh, fun things to talk about. Um, actually, you and I have had the opportunity to get to know each other a bit just over the last few years um, participating in the, the ASEAN board. So I, I've been on the board for a little bit. You've been on the board. And uh, I've, I've enjoyed spending that time and kind of learning about your approach to business and you're, you're, you're outspoken in, in a, in a great positive way. You don't mind sharing your thoughts and ideas with members of the board and, um, with folks that are out there in the industry. And, you know, in many ways you, you wear your, your heart and, uh, and thoughts. Um, I want to say at the end of your sleeve, I don't even know if that's the right anecdote, but you, you speak freely about the trials and tribulations of running a business and the trials and tribulations of uh, participating in this industry. And it's, it's not always roses. <laughs> and not. W- one of those challenges, I'll just speak to it. Maybe folks that are tuned in will appreciate this. This time of year, the holidays can be particularly tough. And uh, how are you staying sane? How are you staying sane? And what what's it like right now for you? You know, uh, it, it's always the wild lead up from, you know, about the second week in November through, you know, the Christmas holiday where everybody's deadlines, you know, of course, obviously magically align in the universe. Um, and then there's always the flurry of, of other things, of last minute ads, um, you know, of all that, all that stuff. And everything breaks right before the holidays. That's always how it is, right? It doesn't break on Tuesday morning. It breaks, you know, 45 minutes before the Super Bowl. Um, so I think, you know, when we've, we've become accustomed to the chaos that leads up uh, to that, um, I think the way that we stay sane is being prepared for it, knowing it's coming instead of this idea that it's not going to come, but also process. You know, I think that's, that was really um, something that we've worked on a lot is being efficient and being organized and following our process to make sure that things are done well and it you know minimizes the amount of chaos but man it, it you know there's always something there's always something i storm on friday before christmas is it is it i know we'll jump into some process stuff and jason who is an advisor for you guys he's actually tuned in listening but um was this year 2022 the how you know we're still in the middle of it so I, I can't really speak about it being past tense is this year uh, a little bit better in terms of a lot of the, the stress and the demands on you and your team as compared to maybe years past because of some of that work that you've put into the business? 100%. 100%. I mean, I think the fact that we have a, you know, a, um, a, a map to follow makes a huge difference in how we operate. And I think that it, it, it does as much as you possibly could do to minimize the chaos that comes around this time of year. And again, obviously everybody's, you know, still dealing with 
you know, Christmas shopping and all of the other things that go on in and around um, the holidays. So then you, you know, you double the amount of service and double the deadlines and so on and so forth. So I think it, it makes a big difference. Love it. All right. Well, we're going to definitely jump into some of that, uh, those discussions around some of the, the, the work you've put into your business around process, but let's go back in time. Tell us where, where do you come from? How'd, how'd you get into this whole crazy world? Yeah. So, I mean, I was a, like a lot of, a lot of, you know, young, um, young males was a car audio guy, uh, you know, stuffing subwoofers into the back of, you know, whatever shitty car that I owned at the time. Um, so, you know, learned about the inputs and outputs and stereos and things like that. Um, it's actually kind of a really good, good way to learn the basics that you don't even learn in this, you know, uh, in this industry, things like crossovers and frequencies and things that kind of don't always make sense. Don't get addressed because it's kind of all handled for you. Low pass and high pass filters. And all. I was one of those early 90 yeah. car yeah. audio yeah. guys. My, my audio system cost more, uh, was worth more than my car. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. That's a hundred percent true. So from there, you know, I actually, I went to, I went to art school, um, for fine arts. Um, and while I was there, I had to get a job. So I started working for a small, um, electronics store in in what uh, in rye in westchester county um mostly because my girlfriend at the time who i'm currently married to uh was had a job down the street so i said oh look at this i was going to visit her for lunch and saw a stereo store and the rest is is kind of history to some degree uh, worked there for about five years you know as they were transitioning from like small electronics into the early days of you know ci um and then what were, what were big, you doing there? What was your job or, or role? I mean, there was like, you know, four of us, three of us. So it was, you know, everything, right? So there was some sales, there was some, in, a lot of installation. And, you know, I mean, there wasn't really programming at that time to some, you know, we were, I think we were doing a lot of Phillips Prontos. Um, so um, kind of all, all things, all things integration or AV at the time, really. Um, and then landed, I guess what would be a big job, you know, or a big opportunity was for a company called Concierge Direct, um, which was really um, the first or one of the first um, MDU focused companies in CI. Um, and, you know, as is the case sometimes, lands the biggest opportunity in the MDU space in New York City when the Plaza Hotel was turning from hotel to condos. So um, for those that may not be familiar with that early 2000s period, <clears throat> maybe set the state. Like what, what was happening? Because I, I was in the middle of it, but I was on the other side of the equation. <laughs> I was with Crestron in South Florida. And I was, I was at least for a little period of time, I was the MDU guy. And so I was in the middle of this. And I even know we went head to head with you guys. I didn't realize it was you, but now I know that. <laughs> but so tell, tell our audience what was happening in New York and in South Florida and where all these buildings were going up. Yeah. So obviously there was a construction boom, you know, it's all pre 2008. So there was a construction boom going on of high rise um high rises um and one of the trends in new york city was taking these old landmark style you know marquee properties um and turning them into really high-end condos so if you go back to 2005 and six um you know the plaza had kept setting records for the most expensive residential real estate in the country you know which kind of is comical now because at the time you know 18 20 30 50 55 million i think was the most expensive one that's kind of like par for the course uh, in 
uh, in New York City now. So it was it was a really interesting time, and uh, you know, it was also pre iPad, pre app, pre iPhone. So we we weren't living in that world yet. So Paul, Paul both- just posted a comment. He says uh, back when when Jobs had 500k and just TVs. <laughs> exactly. It's pretty much it. I mean, we were selling, you know, plasmas, runco right? plasmas, runco yeah. plasmas. Um, so it was the, the opportunity was really incredible. Um, and it was, it was a really, it was a new idea in the sense that you were concentrating ultra high net worth people. Um, and we went out and pitched a, um, a solution of virtual concierge effectively, um, which, you know, between Ron and I never worked for any of them, the, any, any of the two manufacturers that were involved, which we were on the AMX side of things. Um, but we all sold so, the dream. And we did. And it was a whole lot of vaporware. Let me tell you. <laughs> so on the so Crestron they, side, I remember the, uh, the ISIS panels, the, uh, the 12 <laughs> and 15 inch, you know, I don't yep, remember $10,000, yep. $15,000 $10, per touch panel. Yep. It was craziness. So, it was, you know, so there was no apps, right? There was no seamless. So what, what the concept was kind of a good idea. It was like, hey, you could provide this virtual concierge solution. Um, and you could have vendors on the back end fulfilling requests. Um, so part of the business was to go out and find vendors, you know, and it was, um, I don't remember many of them anymore, but, you know, Avondo, which is still the highest end florist in New York City, was the florist vendor, you know, that that kind of thing. And then the, the the concept was we pitched, you know, and it's not so far now, but you pitch a pitch a system to a developer. The developer buys it at some heavy discount, and our deal was, hey, no problem, but we get to sell to the homeowners and wire during construction exclusively, and it worked. And I mean, we did, you know, did twenty five or thirty million bucks in that building alone, and it became such a thing that you know it was becoming a requirement in MDU, certainly in New York City, and I and I know in, in South Florida at the time as well. Um, so for, it was, it was a big, big explosive win at the time. And at the same time, that company exploded the other way at the end. Well, before, before we go there, what, what was it, uh, at a, not to get too technical, but concierge direct, was that an AMX solution or what AMX solution? It was, yeah, it was AMX. AMX. And yep. so that th- this, for our audience, this was like head to head warfare, Crestron and AMX. It was and wild. The 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 Crestron solution. If there's a name I remember from you know back in during those years, I don't. Uh, I did not work closely with them, but I know Randy Klein, former CEO at at Crestron, did, and that's the Cymax guys. Does that name ring a bell? Did you guys go head to head? Oh with yeah, them? we did. We did. You know there was. There was there were a few players. There was both software guys that were involved in hardware guys, and and Cymax was you know some degree doing what we were doing in New York, doing it in Florida, um, and it was. I mean, it, warfare is a good way to put it. It was pretty wild. Um, Any crazy you know, stories I, you can remember from that time? <laughs> oh, I mean, I'll tell you. What, we went we went head to head once in a meeting, and we had a developer, and developers um, they like to argue. Uh, and this particular developer decided it was going to be a good idea to put AMX and Crestron in a room together with the developer and us to argue out whose solution was going to be the best solution. And after, you know, 45 minutes of Crestron's presentation, presenting their vaporware and, and, you know, I kept 
sending questions up to Randy Klein, who was in the room, and asking him questions that I knew that he couldn't answer or couldn't answer the way that they need to be answered for the developer. And he got so agitated. And we're talking Looney Tunes Red with steam coming out of his ears. In the middle of the meeting, he walked up to me, pointed in my face, and told me that I was effing done in this industry if I didn't shut my mouth. In front of the customer? In front of the developer? In front of the customer, yep. And I leaned over to him, and I think I was probably 28 at the time, and I said, if you weren't so effing ancient, I would beat the shit out of you. <laughs> and that was the conversation. <laughs> with That was my randy klein conversation um, that's so he signed you as a dealer right after right Is that, right after usually yeah is that no. what happened <laughs> no no i was i was on his uh no fly list i remember when the following cd i walked into the crestron booth and was politely asked to leave <laughs> so that's the story that and that you know and that was that was the world then it was it was a very different you know i mean we were i was wearing suits to work every day i mean it was oh, just yeah. a just a different different thing what um, what happened to concierge contested. what what happened to concierge direct How, you said it blew up it, is that it blew up it went like it went public and started publicly trading it no. oh i wish wow no 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 the uh yeah i mean it, it as 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 um explosive as it was on the front end being this kind of this new idea and this very successful made you know i think we sold you know i don't know 60 or 70 million bucks over like four or five years um it then got shut down in 10 days you know the owner was in florida came back from florida may 1st 2012 by may 13th it was shut down um and he was he was you know effectively an absentee owner um nobody knew him i was the face and that was you know Summer of 2012 was a stressful time for me because, you know, I got named in lawsuits and all this stuff because everybody thought I was the owner. So it took, took, a, took a lot of work to, to kind of not, you know, fall in that bucket. And I didn't, I mean, thankfully, but, um, and then, you know, very kind of by accident, founded Elevated Integration. I mean, I had, um, I intended to go work for a, a friend of mine who owns a company in CI. I um, <clears throat> just wasn't ready to go. And, had a couple of customers who said, "Why don't you just do our jobs?" I said, "Hey, I'll, I'll do your job." And I figured, "Hey, I'll do you know do some work for a couple of months, make some money, and then go work for somebody." And here we are, ten years later. Tell us about the business today. Are you doing work primarily in Manhattan? Are you are you, do you travel around the country to follow your clients, or what's the yeah? So we like? you know we're, we're I mean the majority of our work is Metro New York, so everything from the Hamptons up into you know Fairfield County, upstate New York. Um, very almost none across the bridge and in the jersey which is always interesting um that's that's because i want to make sure there's enough work for paul bachner um over there gotta leave some work for paul so yep, i'm sure exactly. he appreciates exactly. that yeah so uh but then we travel you know we'll go where our clients ask us to go i mean i always i always talk to people and say we find you know follow the money i think it was it's gotten a little more difficult, right? I mean, airfare is so much more expensive, you know, post COVID. I mean, it's just, it's outrageous. So it's really tough to justify the cost, but you know, we have a very large project in Bermuda that we've been working on for, I guess, since 2019. That's kind of coming to, coming to the close. That's a tough one. Real difficult to get your guys to go to that, tr- on that one. Um, yeah. Like, know. no, don't make me go to Bermuda boss. Bermuda. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, you know, and, and it's really, we're, we're, we're low volume. We try to be high service, um, you know, ultra high end luxury residential. And that, that's, that's where we are. We're big, big savant, you know, house. That's, that's where we hang our hat. Um, so, 
there's a and and Paul's maybe still watching. I don't know if he's still watching. <laughs> what we're gonna find out here real soon uh, with this question. Um, there's a a link, an ongoing debate, Nick. And uh, I don't care where I go, what event. I don't even care what year it is. This this debate I'm about to mention has been going on for easily uh, ten years plus. And uh, but it, it seems as relevant today as it ever has, and that is. What is better for the consumer, a one-app control solution or a multi-app approach? And I'm trying to remember, who is it? Uh, Paul's on the board with us at ASEAN. I know this, this Austin, always, yeah. Austin, this gets under his skin. So what's, yep. what's your opinion? What's, what's best? I, you know, so but I think everybody knows my, my opinion is a one-app. I, I think um, it's a single-app solution. I think that um you pick your control system we could argue that that'll be the other you know raging argument for all of eternity is which control system is best well i mean they're all the best and they're all the worst so for us it's savant we've you know we hang our hat on that product um we um design around the flaws you know and they all have them um and if you consciously design these systems, I think you can provide a really great experience, you know, through a, through a, a single app solution. I mean, you know, here, here comes the comments, but, um, well, so I'm going to ask you to argue the other side of that. This is what you do when you're in debate class and you have to argue you your point and then, all right, now put yourself in the other side. Why would someone saying a multi app solution is better? Yeah, I, I think, um, focus development of the, hardware provider to make their app work the best with their hardware. So I think that's a, that there's a, there's a reasonable argument to be had there. Um, and I think that people will also argue that it's easier that the, that relying on a single developer to control all of these other things, as well as what their native app can do is, is tough. Um, you know, and I, so, so I think I see both, both sides of the argument. Um, but for me, at the end of the day, I think the consistency of operation is where it where it ends up lying, right? Where you can interact with all these different things in the same format, app in an app that looks the same. Um, that to me is where it wins. I, my opinion, and I, I've lived in homes with both scenarios. I think the, and currently I'm in a home with multiple apps. But I'm going to tell you, they're both right. But it, it has a caveat if. So my current home, I don't have an integrator per se. That's my go-to integrator. Mm -hmm. And I have a, a Lutron app for my lighting and shades. And I have a I have a Sonos app for my music. And uh, I'm trying to think of what else I might have. Um I probably have a few more apps I use. You know, my my HVAC, I have a Daikin unit, and so I have their app. And I find that it is very nice because I'm very self-sufficient as a consumer. Like, mm -hmm. I, I can, it works, it's pretty reliable, and I feel pretty good. The, the version where I think it works really well with a, a centralized app control system, a Savant, a Crestron, a Control 4, an Elan, an RTI, whatever it is, mm -hmm. is when you have a really good integrator that knows how to provide a great design and ongoing great service. And when I think that's that's the key, right? Is the service 
component of it. And that's and where think, it can break down. When that it, when yes. you aren't that integrator, then you've created, in many cases, a nightmare for the consumer. Yeah. But when you are yeah. that person, magic happens. Yeah. Well, yes. And I, I also think, I think, listen, there's a dollar amount where it makes sense. Yes. You know, where... Where and I, you know, I've had this conversation with uh, with our friend Brian Mills, uh, you know, actively about hey, Sonos with Lutron and use the Sonos app and the Lutron app and do you know audio control amps and James Small Aperture speakers is a better experience for the customer. And I could see that argument. Um, as I said, I think the the in the projects that we're doing, the they want the service, and I think it's the best service comes along with a single app solution. But we don't we don't ever get the leap. That's that's true. But, you're always involved. But to your point, you know, there's a level of customer that you know, it's economics. It, it it's economics partly. In other words, the the project, the customer has to be in. I mean, this sounds bad. It has to be important enough to that business, that integration business, that it makes sense to sell them a solution and then ongoing provide that service. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a a break point at um, maybe willingness to invest in technology or ability to invest in technology where there's businesses that just aren't designed or built or structured to provide that ongoing service, but yet the manufacturers do business with them and allow them to go into the marketplace and design and install systems. And I, I think there's no other way to say it. In many cases, those businesses can leave a wake of destruction in their pets. Not everybody, and I'm not judging people by small, medium, or large. It has nothing to do with size of the business. You can be a one-person operation doing amazing work, loving and caring for your customers. And you can be a ginormous business, and you can be leaving a wake of destruction. So it's not about size. It's about service mentality and thinking of that customer as a customer for life. I don't know. Yeah. I'm ranting here, but does that jive with you, or what do you what do you think about I, that? I think it. No, I think it. I think it's true. I, I think you know. Listen, I mean, every company has a bad project or two, or has done a bad job. But I think that to, it's an interesting. You know, you almost you almost want to hold the manufacturers responsible for allowing people to sell their product who are, really shouldn't be selling their product. But I mean, I think you're right. I think that there is a certain customer, and maybe it's an age thing. Um, I think. You know, listen. I, I'm. I'm a. We were talking about this earlier pre-show about you know that that music that was 30 years old in the 90s when we were you know in high school age. Now the stuff in the 90s is you know 30 years old today. It's like you know Pearl Jam is as old today as the Rolling Stones were when we were in high school. So it's a little crazy when you think about it. But I find myself um, less willing to deal with multiple apps and the, and the frustrations that can come along with that stuff. So I think as you talk about a bit of an older demographic. Um, and people that want to, you know, have can afford and want to pay people to do things for them, they're willing to spend the money. So I think if they're willing to spend the money yeah. and you can commit to the service level that you're kind of talking about, I think that you can provide a great, great experience. You know, I mean, I do as you know, I, I think you need to pick your poison. And I think that's a, big, a great way to put it. You can't. I know that there are companies um, that do multiples and they they do it successfully, certainly for you know us with eight people doing multiple control systems and i'm going to take the two lighting manufacturers and move them to the side um we're really talking about you know savant pressure on and control for i think you got to pick one and you got to then as i said earlier conscious design around 
the control system and its faults because they all happen, you know. Um, so um, I think being, re- you know, responsible design in that from that perspective and then that commitment to service, I think then yes, you know, and that's the right project. I mean, um, that's key. What, why do you think some integrators pick up multiple control systems? What are they trying to accomplish? Oof. I, I, I've heard people describe themselves as the tech concierge or something along those lines, that kind of idea, I, you know, um, that are, because there's this idea that you, that if you're selling only one, that you're then biased on why the solution is right. I think that people view it as being genuine. As, as they're offering being gentle, well, if, if Crestron is right for this, we'll, we're going to put it in there. Um, or if Control Forge right, we'll put that in. I just, I, I, I just, I don't think that's the case. I think that you cannot do them all well. Um, you know, and um, I know we'll, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but about you know people and the investment in your people. But how can how can you know mid level technicians or even good technicians know how to troubleshoot all three systems effectively? So. There's a lot of uh, similarities in you and, and, and that conversation, you, you as an integrator in the conversation around control systems and me as a, a person running a marketing agency. And the, the similarity would be, for example, around software that websites are built with. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of great software out there. You know, there's WordPress, there's Joomla, there's Drupal, there's a whole litany of uh, kind of smaller sandbox, you know, simple builder website software. And and they're almost all really good. Yeah. And so when people come to us and say, well, can you build the website in WordPress? No. But isn't WordPress right. a good WordPress is great software. It's just not the software we develop in. We develop in Joomla. And it's it, mm-hmm. well, why do you develop in Joomla? Well, 10 years ago when we started on this road, we went all in on that. And we said, we're going to be really, really good at this. It doesn't diminish these other platforms. I just would rather be a focused expert than a generalist across lots of different software. And that sounds yeah. like a similar case that you're making. You know, I clearly all the Savant plaques behind you, you're a Savant house, right? And it's, we are. it's and you met it's, there's good with Savant and there's challenges, but that goes with every single control system. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I mean, um, many people listening probably know Matt Lavin from Metro 18 and, and one of Matt's, you know, one of their things is, you know, you can have any kind of cake from us that you want, as long as it's chocolate, they sell, you know, and, and that's a thing. So for me, I know that I can't deliver the best experience and the best support and the best service. If we start selling other control systems, you know, and I, I, and that's from, that's, you know, from trial and error, we've been down this path, you know? So I think, I think you pick your poison and I think you roll with it. And assuming that the projects that you're involved with, you know, can handle it. It's a, it's a good thing. Jason uh, Sayan on uh, LinkedIn just posted. He said, selling in our industry has become a lost art. Too many companies don't qualify the customer or project project. Uh, uh, I don't know. You said project properly and try to sell out of their own pocket or just want to give the client what they ask for. Versus if your client is saying, I want a Savant system, or I want a Lutron system, or I want a Crestron system, what that might be as a synonym is, I want an automation system. I want a lighting system. And I mean, what is that? 
do you have clients that will come to you and ask for things? And, and do you interpret that as simply, I want this functionality? Or do you read it as I want brand X, Y, or Z? And do they demand getting that particular uh, brand? I, I think it's, I, I think there's only two brands at this point in this industry as a whole that, that generate that. Um, one is Sonos and one is Lutron. People ask for those two things by name and they mean those things by name. That doesn't mean to Jason's point that you can't sell them Savant as, a, as their you know, streaming music solution, but you have to sell it to them. You have to, and some of that, you know, I, people, I, I don't like it when people assume selling is a dirty word, right? It's not. It's, it's qualifying the customer, understanding their needs and presenting the be- what you think is the best solution. And it may be better than what they thought they needed, right? And that's, a, that's true. Um, so I think very few people actually ask, but generally, I think when people say, I mean, for years it was, you know, I, I hate those Crestron systems, right? This DP, and they did, they just, they were talking about an automation system. They weren't talking about Crestron or AMX or Alon at the time that very, you know, very often they didn't know what they had. They just had something that they thought was a Crestron system, which, you know, was almost like Kleenex, you know, for tissue back, you know, I don't know 10 or 15 years ago. So, um, I, I think you have to qualify the customer and I, and I, and that's, that's key, key. I want to switch gears here. I know that over the last several years, maybe you could talk to us about your journey. You've uh, uh, discovered areas of your business where you uh, sought counsel outside of your business. And so just to, and what does that mean? That means that you've brought in different types of consultant. Jason, who's commenting is one of those consultants around process, but just, can you maybe take us back in time? When did you realize that you wanted to get some other perspectives to help you understand your business and, and perhaps improve it? So, you know, we, we probably by year, geez, year three, I guess by year four, four or five of Elevated, we landed an MDU um, following, you know, the concierge direct model. Um, in New York City, um, and it turned out to be the IT building um, for a while. It was 443 Granite Street. We did a package for the developer, and then we, you know, pitched the idea of us selling upgrades and wiring during construction. And it was a it was a you know grand slam of a project. It was the IT building. It was loaded with celebrities. And, you know, um, smallest apartment was 2,500 square feet for seven million bucks. And we did this project which was like, again, shooting fish in a barrel. And when we were kind of at the back end of it, I was realizing that, well, this is this story of this project and the arc of the opportunities that should be coming from it are not. And there's a problem here. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to figure out why, what was the problem? Why why am I not getting the referrals that I should be getting out of these, these happy customers? Um, and the problem at the end of the day, you know, and, and you know, this as a business owner problem is me, it was my approach. And it was, you know, the definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So I rolled with this, you know, from a, um, from a, you know, I kind of wrestled and whined about it in my own head for the better part of two, two or three more years, um, and kept cooking with the same ingredients and cooking it the same way and hoping that it would come out on the other side, you know, not burned. Um, and it burned and it burned every single time. And it was, it was, um, it was September of 2020. 
at, um, so we're kind of out of the COVID lockdown in New York uh, by a bunch of months, busy as could be. And I just had a day, one of those weeks, and I was like, I, I, I'm done. I cannot do this anymore. And I, um, we've all been there. Every business owner listening is going, I feel you, man. And I realized that I was either going to have to go work for somebody and kind of just bring, bring my clients and just go work for somebody and give up everything that I had built, or I had to come up with a way to solve my problem. So happened to be that, you know, Chris Smith, who is somebody that, you know, is an industry guy, um, um, who I knew for, you know, through Ozione, um, had just gone on his own as a business coach consultant. So I called him one day and I said, Chris, I need a process. And he says, okay. And that started the nine month journey. Um, most of which was not about process. Um, and, and helping to change the way that I viewed my business, you know, so anybody that owns their own business, you're emotional about it to some degree. Um, but I had to stop making decisions emotionally and stop treating it as a hobbyist um, and start making decisions that were for, that were right for the business. So it, he started with with my team, you know, and we went through a process. As I said, it was about it was nine months um, where we talked, you know, once a week for an hour and he would do an hour of homework and we would we would come up with initiatives and solve problems. And, you know, uh, it led to a renaissance, you know, ultimately for me. Um, and then when I got to the point of saturation with Chris, and I, I think I, I think I described him to you. Chris is like, for, when you allow him to be, he's like forced evolution. Um, and he introduced me to Jason and I said, you know, I, I had said, I asked him for a process and I never got a process from Chris. And I said to Chris, I said, you know, what am I doing? I need a process now. We've done all this work. We've revised the team. We've changed this. We've done all these things. I need a process. He said to me, you have a process. I said, what? He goes, you have a process. You said to document it. And that's how I got to Jason. And Jason saying, um, allows you to regurgitate what you do, how you do it with the pieces of software that you use. And all of a sudden it comes onto this map and you have these directions that you can follow as a business. Um, and I think the I've described this before. It's like a cheat code. You know, if we all played Contras, kids up, down, left, right, BA, select, start, whatever it was to get 100 lives. Jason's process map is like a cheat code. Every guy in your organization, every person in your organization levels up because now all of a sudden there's accountability and people know what to do, right? So now we have a recipe for how we, how we cook the food. Um, and I don't think... I don't think that that journey would have been possible. I wouldn't have been able to get to Jason without Chris. And I think the combination for me was, you know, business altering. I mean, life, I mean at the end, it's life altering. I don't, you know, it, it's, I can't, I can't say enough good about what the, you know, how it makes you feel, how your business runs, the low, the lower amounts of frustration, I mean, across the board, you know, uh, and ultimately you're making more money because you're being more efficient. You know, you're not yeah, wasting energy. I would imagine you're better for your family on the other side of that as well. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, one of the, one of the things, I mean, a hundred percent, it makes you available. Um, and, you know, one of the things I think in many people who are listening probably have heard me talk about it, led me to understand what I need, what the business needed from a, you know, you run around until your hair's on fire and then you decide you either need people or you need process. And what is, and what does that look like? And ultimately going through this, um, going through kind of the evolution. And I think also, you know, being part of industry 
groups like Azion, you know, um, Synergy is another one. Um, I think that there's real value in there because you get to interact with people. And it's not always the normal, the usual suspects, you know, Paul Baca, who's commenting, you know, Paul and I talk all the time. We're friends. Um, but it's, sometimes it's great to hear other perspectives from different businesses of different sizes and different markets. And I think it, you know, ultimately led me to realize what I needed. And I, what I needed was a number two person. And all of the work from Chris and from Jason, you know, I built, I, I had built a, built a, a person in my brain uh, and I knew who I wanted. And then when it was very clear, very easy, when I met that person to hire them, and that's, that's, you know, Olga, who many people have met. Um, and that again, just changes, you know, just changes your life, changes your whole, changes your business life, changes your personal life. When you have somebody good that you can rely on, it's a big deal. So I, I, I would never have gotten to Olga if not for Jason and not for Chris. So super, super valuable. Curious um, with, with Jason and he's documented this process for you. What, uh, how is that then institutionalized or, or how do you then use that? You mentioned holding team members accountable. Like what is that process like the process of helping your team understand the process? I think so. So I, I presented it to them. I, you know, we still, and it, it's a living document. I would, I would want to say that it doesn't stop changing and evolving. Um, and so we presented it to them and said, Hey guys, check this out. And it was printed out on a, you know, a 24 by 36 sheet of paper and they, they, their eyes lit up and we said, so this is how we do this. And then it's on our Slack internal Slack channels and our process. And, and we present it to all new employees. We present, um, this is how it operates and what it did, you know, and listen, as it's, I know there are a lot of, business owners in this industry that many of them don't have active roles. They kind of just oversee. So I have very active roles, um, but it gave them, it gave me accountability to them. They knew what I had to do in the different parts of the process. And I think the fact that they, they can look at that and know when things go wrong and why they go wrong, because they still go wrong, but it, it helps there. They get less angry and they get less frustrated, you know, and it, listen, it's very easy to go, Hey, I screwed up. I didn't do the thing that I was supposed to do. And I think the fact that they can, they know that there's accountability across the board um, makes it, you know, is invaluable. Invaluable. You mentioned the Olga effect, the idea that, you know, Olga is, you know, your, your right-hand person. What is that job title? Like what is the, and, and how do you decide what gets delegated to her? Maybe that previously you would carry in terms of responsibilities. I think so. We, she's she's our director of operations, um, okay. and you know w one of the one of the things that you have to, that I had to learn when listening to somebody like Chris talk about your purchasing department. Everybody goes, "Well, I don't have a purchasing department." Well, no, but when you purchase, you're wearing the purchasing department hat, right? So it was, and again, that's part of that process map, understanding what things went in what buckets, so to speak. And then assigning either the bucket or parts of the bucket to individual people. So for Olga, it was really, it's, it's, it was whatever it took to some degree to, to allow me to do the things that, you know, um, that I'm good at, at a high level. So, you know, um, highest and best use, right? What is my highest and best use? And it wasn't doing POs, you know, or, or it wasn't scheduling the guys, or it wasn't, you know, dealing with feedback and, and reorganization of process, that sort of thing. I mean, it, it, I had to sell, that's what I have to do. Um, so it was initially, um, 
uh, not many, many people, we didn't talk about this, but I've, I've worked from home forever. Um, we have a couple of warehouses. We've been remote um, for long before COVID. I had an office when we first started. And it was You're at your home office now. Is that where I'm, I'm at? My home. Yep. Okay. So I had to ultimately, when I, when Olga accepted the job, I had to um, make a conscious decision to move her into my office. So to my left is, or your right, my left, that side is another desk. And that is where I committed. I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. And she spent tons and tons of time here, you know, and she's here a couple of days a week and immerse, immersive, you know, as it relates to her onboarding and the commitment to her onboarding. And we have found that we've adjusted the way we've approached things and do different things at different times. And we've changed it. And I think it'll continue to evolve. Um, but I think, you know, being being committed to onboarding her in a way to make her successful was a part of it. As I said, I mean, she comes to, you know, literally sits to my left and yells at me all day long, which is okay. Ah, that's hilarious. I, I'll just share that uh, to keep it high level. I had a similar epiphany in my business, adding an operations person. And, uh, and in my business, also realizing my best and, you know, most effective superpower to contribute to the business was sales. And meanwhile, prior to that, I had been trying and failing, trying and failing to hire salespeople. Mm-hmm. And my epiphany was, well, Ron, what the heck are you doing? You, doing? Like, right. you can go it's, out it's and true. you need to keep the fish that you catch and you need to keep, you need to make them very happy. So they stay with you for a long time and tell their friends about you. And yep. that is the key. And, uh, and so I, I feel you, man, it, it, what now seems in hindsight, obvious, you want to right. look at all those years you struggled and go, why didn't I see it earlier? It, it, it's a truth. It's truth. I mean, it, you know, it's interesting. As I said, I, I, I don't, I think you have to be willing to, it's very difficult to be willing to, to admit to yourself, even to some degree that you are wrong or the way you're doing it is wrong. Mm-hmm. And that I was the biggest problem, you know, mm-hmm. um, but you know, when I, as I get angry phone calls or text messages from texts who go, I don't have what I need. I'm like, oops, cause I didn't order it. Well, it doesn't happen anymore. You know, that doesn't happen. Um, and I think he, that it's, it's the willingness to, to change the willingness to, to kind of really be, um, look inside of the business, um, and not be, you know, not be offended by the thought, right? There's this kind of, it was interesting. I had to figure out how to not be offended by Chris all the time mm-hmm. uh, as we talk through things. Um, you know, and I, and I see that I see it even now with Olga, I have to, you know, listen, she's going to have differences of opinion. We're not always lockstep about everything, but I listen, I hear it out. And I, and, you know, I realize that there are places where I'm going to stand my ground and there are places I'm just going to let her run with it because she's got a better idea. Um, so it's also, you know, it's interesting, the, the idea to relinquish some control, you know. That's, I mean, to learn to delegate, I mean, you've heard delegate and to elevate, or, mm-hmm. and, but that's easier said than done, especially when you've been a, a operating a different way for so long. Do you, yeah. do you think you're getting better at delegating? Yeah, I, yes. I mean, I think I, I, you know, as I said, you have to try not to take everything so personally. Um, so... I, I think yes, you know, I, I think generally, and I think that there are places you can give away more, you know, um, I think, you know, as you, with all these things that we're talking about, you know, at the end of the day, the net result is you're got, my people are getting better at their jobs. So how do those guys now be able to take additional pieces that flow down, you know, hills, so to speak. So some, some of the stuff that Olga can do can maybe go on somebody else's plate 
and then it, you know, it continues. Right. So something, uh, prior to us going live, you mentioned that is a, is a current focus of yours is company culture. Can you kind of speak to that and, and how you're thinking about that or, or working on that? Yeah, I think, you know, um, part of the, part of the ASEAN experience is, is now, you know, doing these, these kind of, um, de- more development stuff, right? So they're looking into how do we develop companies beyond just selling? How do we help to invest in the, in more in the in- insides? And so we, you know, and Jason and Chris are doing some of that with ASEAN and, and the third person that they have is Stacy McKibben. And Stacy is, you know, she's a business coach consultant. Um, and you know, when I, when the prod, when the, 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 they call them, uh, connected clusters cube started in with Azion. I jumped at the chance to work with Stacy because I said, "Hey, I've already spent a lot of time with Jason and with Chris. I want to look at the next thing." And what my, you know, people take away different things, right? You'll get something different from a coach, and I'll get. But what I'm getting from her is cult is how to continue to develop the culture of the company. You know, um, both from a an employee development perspective, from a you know positive culture perspective. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about earlier was, you know, how, how powerful it is to have women in our industry, which is so male dominated, um, and just the difference, um, in having a woman as part of elevated has been really significant. Um, so I spent a lot of time thinking about culture, thinking about what makes my people happy. Why are they happy? Why aren't they happy? Because at the end of the day, I believe that, you know, if you have happy employees, you're going to have productive employees. So I think, and productive employees mean happy customers and a good bottom line. Cause that is all that's why we're here. So, um, I take a lot of my conversation and time spent talking to Stacy, you know, in, into the culture side of the business. Um, and I think, you know, that's, a, that's another, that's another just great aspect of, of Ozion and then also synergy, which is a bit of a different approach in that it's just all about professional development, um, and utilizing, you know, the opportunities we have in the industry and, and then these different organizations that are here to help. And, and, you know, um, as I think we said it before, is it, is it as a small business owner, are you struggling with the same thing that somebody else is struggling with? Well, yeah. Well, how did you solve it? I don't know. How did I solve it? How did they solve it? So I think that perspective is really important. I think that's what a lot of these groups are doing now is providing the ability to have perspective. That's when we go to conference or industry trade shows or events or conferences, you know, I'll often talk to people and they're like, yeah, I'm too busy. I don't have time to go. And if you only look at a conference with the programming, uh, it, it may or may not seem like it's your, your highest or best use of your time. But when you look yeah. at the sharing with your peers, and sometimes it's when you're, you're you know, sitting at the bar at the end of the day and you're having that conversation with the person to your right or left that some of the biggest epiphanies or discoveries happen. I think it's a fact. I think it's a fact. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's some of the best conversations I've had, you know, and I, um, I'm lucky enough to have a relationship with Bob Madonna, who's the owner of Savant. And some of the best conversations that, that I've had with him have been it on the, after the event or, and that sort of thing. Um, and I think that those times are valuable. I mean, that's where relationships are built, right? You don't build it sitting at a table. You maybe get introduced to people or to, to somebody, but the relationships are kind of forged and built after the fact. Um, and I think that that it's, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons you do this stuff, you know, so do these events. I mean, listen, we wouldn't, you know, we have a good relationship and, and chat all the time and we wouldn't know each other if not for Ozion and that, that sort of thing, you know, even, um, even as somebody that, you know, does uses some of your services, you know, we wouldn't necessarily know each other like, like we do. And I think that's a really right. cool thing. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I completely, I completely agree. You mentioned culture is a focus. You're working with Stacy. That's kind of the area you're directing some of the, the energy, um, in that interaction or that consulting relationship. One takeaway that you could share with our audience, maybe something that you now do differently or think of differently as it relates to building a strong culture that you know, you think might be valuable. Uh, if you were, sitting behind beside someone in our audience at a bar at a conference and you're like, Hey, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Anything that comes to mind? I would say, yeah, I think the biggest thing is reinvesting in your people. You know, I think that's been my big is to continually educate and continually invest in them. Um, whether it be, whether it be training, whether it be, um, you know, um, spending time with them. And I, you know, it's always, that's a tricky thing, right? People, people go to work. They don't want to spend time with their employees or, or their boss, so to speak, but, but, you know, taking a genuine interest, kind of slowing down a little bit with my interactions, um, with them. Um, and I think that, you know, investment of time, I think is a thing from my perspective. I look at that, I say, Hey, let me have a conversation. Let me go to that job site and what, and, and spend a couple hours with them. I think it's sometimes that's, I think that can be really valuable. And I also think on the education side and they view it, I think they view it as genuine. Um, and I think that that's another thing you, 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 you know, you develop people versus, you know, buy people, so to speak, right. You're just going out and hiring the most expensive guy. It's like pro sports, you know, Steve Cohen at the Mets is going to spend 350 million bucks on his payroll this year, but you can also develop those people, but you have to invest in them. And the investment is the time, you know, both from an interpersonal relationship relationship perspective but also training and being willing to let them spend the time to do that i think is that's my that's kind of where we're looking most right now you've been at uh this business thing now for a couple decades do you do you think do you feel that you're getting better at it (sighs) yeah i mean you know you can't there's no replacement for experience so, but I, I think to some degree, I think there's just so much more to learn. You know, I, I mean, it, it, without sounding soupy about it, I think it's, you have to be, you have to be willing to continue to invest in getting better at what you do. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're, we're successful. I think that we're, the company is doing really, is doing really well. We've had our, I mean, our, our biggest quarter ever. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, you know, and that it's a good feeling going into what, what could be a little dicey next year. Um, but again, per- perfect transition, by focused. the way. That's what I want to talk about next is kind of get your thoughts on next year. But continue that thought. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, no, I just, no, no. I, I think, you know, it's, um, I think that these are results of all this kind of this journey of the last two or so years for me, two, two plus years in kind of reinventing how we did things and who we are as a company. And I don't want to say like our, our branding, so to speak, never changed. We're, we're still kind of the same, our approach and our, our, um, high level 20,000 foot view of how we want to do business and do, do integration um, is the same. It's just how we get there now is very different. I think, um, yeah, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, it's continual. It's continual. I think when you, when you become st- when you stop changing, then you become, you know, irrelevant. Do, do you feel that the work you've invested, it's, it's not only cost money, but it's cost time and energy uh, the last couple of years, this work you put into the business, do you feel today, December 28, 2022, that you're better positioned to, you know, rock out for another 10 years, 20 years, five years, however long your horizon is for your business? Do you feel you're better positioned today 
than you were on that September day, 2020, before you began? hundred percent. I, I think, I mean, you know, I would, we would have been gone in six months, I think, and, and not necessarily because we didn't have work, but because we were so frustrated, you would, you know, you just, you wouldn't, wouldn't want to invest the time anymore. So I, I think we are a hundred percent, um, you know, and as I, as I said, I think all of these little things add up to efficiency and add up to profitability. Um, you know, and I think that is how you getting the most out of, um, our team, you know, by being as efficient as we can be, um, and continually developing and growing your, your team, I think allows you to be positioned in it as safely as possible when things get weird. And I, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not convinced that right we're we're on some collapse. I mean, there is, there is. I don't see anything in the middle. There's no middle project. It's either small, like a small upgrade or small service. What's a small project by your definition? What's it? If, <laughs> if you put a dollar value, and this isn't judgmental, but I just, I, I, I'll just give an example. I spoke to someone in the Florida Keys this morning, and this person said that they are no, and in their example. They and this is for other reasons than economic reasons. They're no longer doing the twenty-five thousand dollar project. They're now doing the twenty-five hundred dollar project, and that was just in their little in their universe. That was what big and little meant. And so, everyone listening, your big, medium, and large is gonna be different. So, I'm yes. I'm curious your definition. I'm gonna make a guess. Your big is probably half a million plus. 500k up or is it 250 or where would you draw that line to call something yeah i think it's i think it's north of 300 you know i think it depends right so a a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar theater is is a big project um you know a um a twenty thousand square foot home of lighting shades and audio at 250 is not really a big i mean it's you know so but for us it's about 250 and up we consider that a large project um we're seeing multiples in the north of 500 area um, and then the lower end is, I would call it sub 50,000 for us. And we'll do, you know, we'll do small jobs. I mean, we'll, we'll go out and do a, you know, do a 10 or $15,000 network upgrade. That's, I mean, that's just the world that we're in. Um, so, but I'm seeing nothing like, you know, generally 75 to 200. There's nothing. Why do you think that Zilch. is? I, I, so I think the people that are truly wealthy still have money. Um, and I think the guy that's spending half a million bucks on a project, whatever that encompasses, maybe he'll spend four fifty. That's how he dials it back. Um, I think the people that are are you know developing their wealth, you know, may, maybe it's the younger finance guy, maybe it's the I don't know, maybe it's a small business owner, you know, um, who's got some money. I think those are the people that are not spending, at least in our world. That's not what we're seeing. And then I'm seeing people, I think the people that are more conservative, you know, are prepared to spend 20 or 30 or 40,000 bucks. Maybe that person would spend 100,000 if, if, if it was the economy was great for them. What pivot have you made in your business due to this observed change in projects? Yeah, I think so. One, one thing we're, we've focused really heavily on how we're interacting with those large project groups, right? So whether it's family offices, architects, designers, contractors, property managers, whatever it is, we're trying to be re- all over it, all over it, um, even at a higher level than we normally would be, because I think that's where the additional future opportunity will come more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, generally to be really efficient, right? I mean, that's, it is all for me about 
being efficient, the, the least amount of wasted energy. You know, Stacy brought a book um, up to a group of us at Osmio called Essentialism, which is really about at the end of the day, it's about what you spend your what you choose to spend your time on, and and I and time spending any time or anything on anything is wasted energy if it's not key right so you know if you have a priority list and it's got more than about two or three items on it it's no longer a priority list because there's no priorities so um it's about being efficient it's organizational efficiency um you know job efficiency um maximizing you know minimizing your cost maximizing your your output um and really focusing on things that that give you the biggest return you know on your investment whether that be time or money Awesome. Nick, we're, uh, for our audience, we're going to drop into the show notes, uh, the links, uh, you mentioned, uh, Chris Smith and his company, Jason Sayon and, uh, Stacy, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna drop all those show, all those links to their website so that if any of our listeners or people watching live, uh, want to, to find those people, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, sir, how would you advise they do that? Yeah, Nick at elevatedintegration.com. Um, you can also you know connect through our website, which is elevatedintegration.com. Um, I'm all over Slack trolling Paul Bachner usually. Um, <laughs> so you can find us there, Ozion Slack or uh, Synergy Slack channels. Um, yeah. Awesome. Nick, thank you, sir, for being uh, our guest on show 233 of Automation Unplugged Man. I'm, uh, I'm proud of you. Uh, for all the work you've put into your business over the last couple of years, that's hard stuff. And, uh, but if you do it and you do it right and you stay dedicated, there's, there's fruit on the other side of that investment. And it definitely is definitely. Is. And you're, you're living proof of that. So happy holidays, my friend. And uh, again, I appreciate you, you coming on the show. Good to be on. Thanks. Mom. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.